Welcome to Mind Space Minimal, a podcast exploring the connections between consciousness, lifestyle, wellness, and aesthetics. We're your hosts. I'm Jessica Yatrovsky. And I'm Daniel Ryan. We hope you enjoy this episode. Today, another hypnosis and film episode that we're super excited about. We're doing the movie Get Out, directed by Jordan Peele. Yep. I actually didn't look at the IMDb. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, Dan's on this one. I just want to open this episode by saying that I feel that I am not qualified at all to talk about this because of all of the heavy racial overtones, undertones, and I'm a white person. Me too. So there's so much here that we don't even understand. Agreed. Yeah. And so I just want to put that out on the table first that I'm, I feel like I'm going to get a lot of this wrong and things are probably way, things have probably gone way over my head even watching this film. This is the second time I've watched it. Hmm. But I I read a little bit about um, Jordan Peele's take on the hmm. film before I watched it. So I looked out for other things the second time around when I watched this. Very cool. Do, do you want to jump in with any of that now or are you saving that? Because I am curious what you read. I'll share one thing, actually, yeah, yeah. that I thought was really interesting that he himself said, look out for this when you watch this again, second time oh. around. He said, you should rewatch Get Out to see what Rose does in the film. When Rose stops the cop from checking Chris's license, it's not to stand up for him against a racist act. It's to ensure that there's no paper trail connecting Chris with her family. Mm. This is only one of many duplicitous acts Rose pulls off during the story, and Peel encourages fans to watch the movie again to see how Rose's hidden intent plays out. That's awesome. Yeah. It's so it's so well written. It's such a yeah. good movie. This movie's oh, so, so good. good. That's why I said I feel unqualified to talk about it because of race. I feel you. I appreciate your saying it. I echo what you're saying as an adult white man. I don't know what I don't know. And I am not here to comment on the commentaries provided by this movie, which feels you know, very brilliant to me. I, I, mm-hmm. I do love this movie. As a hypnotist, I've got a ton to say about it. As a white man, not so much. It's an appreciation, you know, again, more than anything else. There aren't many movies that I can watch that I can learn from, you know, by watching and just get some education on my whiteness and also be entertained at the same time. So, I mean, again, I just, you know, Bravo, Jordan Peele. It's such mm-hmm. a great movie. Yeah, there's something else that he said that I'll also share that I thought was pretty awesome and right on point. He said that, so we're going to get to this at some point in the film, but there's the sunken place, which is what we experience in the hypnotic section of the film that starts pretty early on in the film. So Jordan Hill talks about the sunken place and he says that in the movie, it represents the marginalization of black Americans Mm. and that the metaphor is a nuanced and multi-layered, but the main theme of the film's horror is the real world concept of a system silencing, no matter how loudly you shout on Blu-ray, which who fucking has (laughs) Blu-ray like this movie was just made. But, um, so Peel explicitly states that 
it is, quote, a metaphor for the marginalization of the black horror movie audience. We are a loyal horror movie fan base, and we're relegated to the theater, not on the screen. Mm. So I thought that was pretty poignant. Indeed. So directed by Jordan Peele, obviously, written by Jordan Peele as well. The cast stars Daniel Kaluuya in the lead as Chris Washington, Allison Williams as Rose Armitage, or Armitage, Catherine Keener as the mother Missy, who is also the psychiatrist slash hypnotist, Bradley Whitford as the husband and father, Caleb Landry Jones as the creepy brother Jeremy, (laughs) and then a number of other actors in supporting roles. So this is the movie that in modern times, most people have come up to me and been, when I tell them I'm a hypnotist or hypnotherapist, they come at me with, have you seen Get Out? Mm. Or, you know, like in Get Out? Oh, interesting. Which, (laughs) which obviously, you know, it's like not a great portrayal of hypnosis once again. Uh, Not helped you get clients. (laughs) I don't, not that I can (laughs) point to. I mean, you know. Putting it back out there in popular culture, thanks, I guess, for that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this particular representation, not great. Well, this is a horror thriller, so that also doesn't help things out. No. Um, is there a synopsis <laughs> of this movie, like a quick one, if no one's ever seen this? Here's the, here's the quick one. A young African-American visits his white girlfriend's parents for the weekend where his simmering uneasiness about their reception of him eventually reaches a boiling point. That's very oh, wow. concise. Very concise. So Rotten Tomatoes, 98% critics, 86 audience. That's pretty good. Fun, scary, and thought-provoking. Get Out seamlessly weaves its trenchant social critique into a brilliantly effective and entertaining horror comedy thrill ride. So I want to ask you this. Mm-hmm. What do you think the budget for this movie was? Oh. Huh. I'm going to go $12 million. Okay. What do you think it grossed? $230 million. Okay, so... U.S. Okay. The budget was $4.5 million, mm. which is like nothing. Yeah, it's a very, very small budget. But you were very close. Hmm. $255.4 million. Worldwide or U.S.? I think that was just U.S. Okay. Which is very impressive. They were probably yeah. like, you could write anything now. Here you go. Oh, man. Yeah, no. Yeah. Pull because, that off. You know, you I was surprised that he made that film for $4.5 million because it was just so beautifully made, beautifully acted, well-written. How do you do that for only like $5 million? Like, that's fucking insane to me. And to get all those great actors, you know? So, Definitely. but anyways, let's get into the film. So mm-hmm. you want to start from the, the very beginning where um, we're watching a guy walk down a street, a black man mm-hmm. walking down the street at night. Someone starts following him and then he gets abducted. And, and now we're, we're in the movie. We're in the story. And brilliant music cues, too. I mean, the, there's a couple songs that play in the first minutes that all kind of set up different themes just sonically Mm -hmm. fantastic and then we cut to this couple we see rose the actress like in a bakery Mm -hmm. so and then we meet her boyfriend who's a black man a photographer and they're all getting ready because they're going to be going to her parents house for the first time to all meet each other for the weekend right 
as they're packing to get ready, he asks, do, do they know I'm black? And she's like, no. You know, does it matter? That whole th- stupid thing that white women do. It's like, warn your white parents. You know, like, I mean, I don't know. Should you? You're asking the wrong guy. I don't know. <laughs> I've dated all kinds of guys, so I just feel like it. It depends on the parents, depends on the people, I suppose. Yeah. But, uh, you know. So they're driving. So it's somewhere, kind of, they live in a more country rural area. As they're driving, they hit a deer. Fun fact, Jordan Peele actually made the sound of the deer being hit hmm. by the car. With his mouth yeah. or something? <laughs> And I thought it was kind of funny. They call a cop because they feel, you know, the, the the boyfriend actually feels bad that they hit the deer. So he calls, um, they call the police and the police comes and then asks for the ID from him. And she's like, well, he wasn't driving, like, fuck off. And then, you know, they drive, they get to the parents. Now they're at the parents. I mean, the dad is so overdoing it that he's like into black people. He's just like hugging him so much and they're all hugging each other. It's like, okay, we get it. Like, you're you're okay with black people. And the mom's a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And then the husband. Was it clear what he did when they did the meet and greet? Because I didn't know. No, he describes himself as a traveler. Mm. And he, he has this... He's given the house tour. Fa- oh, yeah, the tour. There's this line when he's giving Chris, Daniel Kaluuya's character, the tour. This... The ominous and brilliantly <laughs> written line where he talks about it's such a privilege to be able to experience another's mm-hmm. culture, isn't it? You know, and uh, yeah, and the, I, I just want to mention as you're going through these initial scenes at the beginning yeah. here, please like just chime in on because you know I'm doing my thing where I just go through my list, yeah, and please do your thing, yeah, and, and just to say, I mean. It, the direction and the writing and Jordan Peele and all of it is so fucking good, you can just feel. You feel it's spot on this little awkwardness mm-hmm. the whole time. And maybe that's I don't know, maybe that's just in me, but the uh the signaling of certain things and again the the displaying of kind of the white character's ignorance to some of the things that they say. Or, you know, as the horror comes to fruition later in the movie, you know, the foreshadowing of a lot of what they're saying but all of it's just so well written and and well directed you can kind of just feel it as it's all unfolding we're going to get into this when we get down to some of these other scenes in the movie where there's more white people but now that you said that I feel like what I just sort of extracted from re-watching it last night was that the horror is kind of like the the permanence of this is always going on this awkwardness Mm. between you know black and white people and it's it's like an unspoken thing and people are just trying to like communicate that they're okay with your culture they're okay with your race and like they don't want to come offensive but it's just like not coming off as offensive is the offensive thing sometimes You know, it's like it's very like murky and muddy and like such a tricky thing to navigate. And it's like in the world where we just want to be honest and authentic and love one another, you still have to 
be aware of these signals and these things that are going on and like not ignore them and sweep them under the rug. So I feel like there's so much of that going on in this movie and you see it just in that introduction. They're like, we want you to feel so welcome here. It's like, well, why? I'm just another human being. I want to be treated like a human being. I don't want to be treated like the prize person. Yeah, this becomes evident as the movie goes on. But, you know, as a hypnotist, I'm just so appreciative because, and I can't tell how intentionally Jordan Peele is doing this. Again, I don't know if he read about hypnosis or if he just used it as a prop in his movie, but there's such a direct connection between trance states and the psychology of a lot of what the characters mm-hmm. display and, and talk about and a lot of the horror that unfolds just the flattery uh, i just i as a hypnotherapist deeply appreciate the the possible commentaries on psychology mm-hmm. and trance and then Catherine keener you know her character of course being the hypnotist oh, and amazing the sunken place and the little hypnotic tools that she uses which we'll talk about when we get to that part oh i have a quick question have you ever mm. seen skeleton key no Okay, we'll we'll talk about that another time. Um, okay. The reason why is moving along. So dad's really selling how much he's into black culture and black people. Okay, it's like, okay, dad. And then they're all now sitting outside on the porch having some tea. And the parents tell the story that they t- have two helpers, two housekeepers, a man and a woman. They're both black people as well. Young, young-esque, right? Mm-hmm. Young under, to middle age. Under 45? Yeah, 40 probably. or under. Yeah. And they're helping around the house and they explained, oh, when my parents were sick, they stayed around. They were their caretakers. But after they passed away, we kept them around because they just were part of the family. And but, you know, it, it's there's an awkward tension there, too, because she's the woman is pouring the tea while they're sitting out on the porch. And she's always kind of transfixed the whole time. The woman. I don't know what her name is. The housekeeper. Georgina. Georgina, yes. So Georgina's pouring the tea, Chris's tea, and it spills. And the mom kind of snaps at her and goes, I think you need to rest. And she goes, I think I do. I was like, oh, God, the Stepford wife shit already is happening in this movie. And you realize that there's something kind of going on with the mom here. Like she's she's some kind of something that's going to unfold later on. And then they start to talk about Chris's parents and Chris was like, my, you know, he's not really taking any sympathy for the fact that his mom is dead. And she's like, we don't have to talk about that right now. And she clanks her tea with a spoon a few times. And I was Mm -hmm. like, what's that? May I speak to that? Yes. That's my, uh, that was a question. That was for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I pointed Uh, at you. Right on. Um, (laughs) So there's a lot of different ways that that could be interpreted. Well, a couple different ways that could be interpreted hypnotically. Foremost, we could think of it as a hypnotic anchor. Mm-hmm. And the use of the hypnotic anchor, which is used many different ways in many different effective forms of communication. Any politician who... Co- oh, fucking... Okay, so here's here's a horrible... and Here's a deal. Of, here's a horror movie <laughs> hypnotic anchor for you. 
make America great again that, you know, in comics, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, I don't know why the hell he comes to mind, but he used to be always like, you know, can't get no respect or whatever. I, yeah, I just yeah. dated myself. I'm 75 years old. Um, <laughs> it is. It's anytime you have this kind of thing that you come back to, that is a kind of anchor for your audience, whether that audience is one person or a thousand people. In this case, the hypnotic anchor for her the sound that she is tying to and associating mm-hmm. with, in his mind, the sunken place. And also, you know, shout out to Daniel Kaluuya's acting. He's so good. Talking about the story of how his character lost his mother and when she died. And this is somewhat accurate, too, that the psychiatrist, Catherine Keener, she uses this horrible story about when he was a little boy and his mother passed away after a car accident to make him emotional and to make him essentially more suggestible and she does that right off the bat yes and this is all done in a hollywood fashion i gotta say like as as much as there are shreds of truth in the idea of the hypnotic anchor much like hypnosis often is in film and television, we have a highly dramatized version here that mm-hmm. you know isn't. We should not be ex- inspecting for accuracy or truthfulness. That said, it's a wonderful movie, and you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody. So after she clinks cup with a spoon, she says, "We don't have to yep. talk about that." They start talking about hypnosis because he's he's like sh- he's his arms are shaking. And it's because he's a smoker and he's dying for a cigarette. And so the husband goes, she's a hypnotherapist. She can take care of that for you. She developed her own technique, he says. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, uh uh-oh. Now we know she's a... She's she's doing some weird shit. And there's something fucking really weird going on with the house helpers. So, but now we're at dinner now. This is just like a series of meals, I guess, this day. And the brother shows up, which... He's a weird Heath Ledger vibe, right? Huh. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Like out of control. They have a. He comes off intense and weird. Yeah. And they have a really weird dinner. But he does have, like, you know, Heath Ledger would be the positive version of that. Yeah. He. I didn't want to say what I really wanted to say, but he. He's like the ugly stepchild or whatever, of the (laughs) Heath Ledger twin. Um, separated at birth and they just have this really like he tries to wrestle him at dinner he tries to wrestle chris's character at dinner and it's just really awkward and and the mother gets really upset about it and then they kind of like part ways they go to bed but he can't chris can't sleep so chris gets up presumably to go and have a cigarette outside and the fucking helper guy is just running at him from the forest towards him, like coming from the distance. Do you know why he's running? I figured it. I figured it out eventually. I didn't. I didn't know. Yes, when I first watched it, I thought he was dreaming. Okay. But the second time I watched it, yeah. it was. Yeah, we'll we'll spoil it if we say. Yeah. But go ahead. So. And of course, I love oh, I love when they do this in horror films, like the like music. So he's running, but he's running at him. But then when he gets close enough, he runs by him. So he's like, okay, that was fucking weird. And then he turns around and he sees the woman in the window. Georgina. Georgina. And it's just like, what the fuck are these people all doing up? And why are they exercising? And like, what is happening? 
And he turns around. He doesn't have a cigarette. He ends up going, right? I didn't see him smoke. Did you? I don't think so. I don't think he ever gets the cigarette. Yeah, I don't think I would stay out there after experiencing that. So he turns around. He walks back into the house. And Missy is sitting there. And she says, you realize how dangerous smoking is? <laughs> Just sitting there judging him. And he a- she asks him to come sit with her. And she's drinking tea with a spoon in it. Mm-hmm. And he asks her, he wants, she, or she says, do you want to know how this works? And he's kind of like laughing a bit. And she's stirring the tea, literally and figuratively. <laughs> She starts to talk about suggestibility. Yeah, she starts to talk about heightened suggestibility. And she starts to ask him questions about when his mom died. And he starts to recall it. And then she says to him, and you did nothing. And like basically gets him to agree with her. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was very aggressive Mm -hmm. to go into it right away like that. Um, Big time. Which, again, is why I say, you know, dramatized in terms of any kind of look of accuracy onto the hypnosis that's taking place. But yes. Well, because she goes right back to the trauma that she clanked her spoon with at the beginning mm-hmm. when the mom was dead. And and she's like, we don't have to talk about that. So now she's back with the spoon reliving this situation with his mom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this movie, well, before I say that. She gets him to agree. You did nothing. I did nothing. And she says, now sink into the floor. And I'm trying to remember at some point, doesn't she ask him or she asks him, how do you feel? And he says, I feel paralyzed like he did on that day. He says, I can't move. And then she says, you're paralyzed. And then she says, and now sink into the floor. Now you're in a sunken place. So I kind of wanted to get your take on when he sinks and he falls down into what looks like an abyss uh, where you could barely hear anything. And it's just like black and almost like you're in a galaxy or something because there's Mm -hmm. like little sparkles of things. Yeah. And then there's a little rectangle box that's meant to be like what he can see because now his vision is so narrowed. It's just narrowed into like a little box. Yeah. And he can hear her voice, but it's way in the distance. And that kind mm-hmm. of actually reminds me of hypnosis, kind of how I feel when I'm in a trance is mm-hmm. your voice feels very far away, but also very close at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, that's cool. And that's why like you're asking about what, Jordan Peele's experience with hypnosis was because that's so accurate, mm-hmm. but it's so, I guess sinking can be looked at as a cool thing or a really scary thing. Obviously in this case, it was very scary because she trapped him. Yes. She was trapping him in that suspended state. But I thought that was a really cool way to interpret that experience of trance that little rectangular box that he's looking mm-hmm. out of and she's peering into him. Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> My thoughts are that I, I, I do agree, Jessica. That's a, it's an awesome cinematic 
and dramatic depiction of trance states before we even get to the symbolism loaded into it that Jordan Peele had in mind as he was creating that, that you mentioned before, uh, which adds so much more with that knowledge. These are, you know, again, coming to the, we absolutely should not be looking at this movie and asking ourselves, now, what here is accurate to the average experience of hypnotherapy? Mm -hmm. So let's not do that. And these are the kinds of cinematic portrayals of hypnosis I also really appreciate and love. It's a very difficult, you know, with some empathy for filmmakers and storytellers around the subject, I really don't, I think it's this greatly significant challenge to accurately depict or truly dramatize any therapy, perhaps, let alone hypnotherapy. But when you have these truly creative depictions, Michel Gondry, I always felt mm -hmm. was very good at this too. But when you have storytellers and filmmakers that invent these truly creative ways of storytelling and depicting what are essentially altered states, yeah, I, I often think this with drunkenness and, and scenes in movies where people are supposed to be high too, where they're usually really lame. You know, really, they're like, you know, s people's ideas of what being high or drunk looks like who didn't drink very much or take many drugs. Yeah, I just really, really appreciate this particular depiction of this altered state because uh, I think through what he does, he does find, he manages to find some accuracy. Mm-hmm. You know, through what is essentially distorting the details, he manages to get back to some accuracy, which I, I feel is a real kind of achievement. That's the that yeah. scene in particular, too, when he's in the, quote, sunken place. Have you ever seen Under the Skin? Yes, I have. It was just like that, that Jonah, That's true. Jonathan Glazer film. It, it was so accurate in mm. my mind because I've felt like that before. But I've never felt trapped. But the interesting thing about this was, and this is like, taking it a, another step forward into like the race discussion. I feel like that is what this film is about, but mm -hmm. I kind of stumble around with like how, how to bring that in, how to talk about it because I didn't make the film and I'm not a black man and I don't have the black man experience. But what I did see in that particular scene when he is isolated and people are looking at him through a certain lens and he can only see and control only so much of what he's doing through that lens. And I thought that that was like a direct correlation to what goes on, at least in America, as it mm. refers to the black experience. There is just this separation and we don't experience it in, in, in this overt way. It's all these subtleties you know, it's like, I'm looking through this lens, you're looking through this lens. We're never looking through the same lens because it all comes from our background and our experience. So mm -hmm. I thought that that when, when she's actually looking at him through that box and he's looking back at her, it's like, do you know what I'm trying to say? It, it was so, course, yeah. yeah, it was just like, so expansive and intelligent and i have no words for it basically is what i'm trying to say here yeah agreeing with you the layers of meaning in just about everything that's going on in this movie it's there's a, a meta analysis mm -hmm. that 
we could be doing for weeks. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with you, you know, that there's many ways we could look at it. So after he's in the sunken place thing, he goes back to bed. He wakes up in the morning. He thinks it's a dream that he's been hypnotized, right? As we're all meant to believe a bit, a little bit. Yeah. Something weird happened. Yeah. So he wakes up in the morning and then he goes outside. He has his camera. We're talking about Chris here. And he's taking some photos. He encounters the house helper who's also a black man. He's chopping wood. He goes up and he starts talking to him. He's like, hey, man, what's up? And and the guy's like, hello, how are you? You know, just so generic and weird and very old timey. And there's not more than 10 years difference with these two guys' age. So it's really weird. And then he starts saying things about Rose. And he's like, Rose, she's amazing, isn't she? You know, and saying all this weird, creepy shit to him. And so he leaves. He goes back upstairs to the bedroom. And he's just like, these two helpers in the house are really freaky. And I think this guy has like a massive crush on you kind of conversation. And I think your mom hypnotized me. Because when he was talking to the the worker guy, he was like, Oh, I saw you were in with Miss Missy. You were in there for a long time last night. So then it clicks that he actually was hypnotized by the mother the night before. And he starts to get really freaked out by it. But then he kind of like calms down about it because he's like, maybe she like I haven't had a cigarette today kind of energy he's carrying. Right. But the best part about the encounter that he has with the, with the, the guy chopping wood is my favorite line. I should get back to work now and mind my own business. And he keeps chopping the wood and, and then he goes back to his, his room. It's all so strange. So they're all ha- they're having a party, right? And Yes, and the guest starts yeah, arriving. Yeah, the guest starts arriving. And they mentioned this at the dinner the night before. And they were all like, oh, there's a party. There's a party. Yes, of course. You know, Rose, we have this every year. And she she again is like, Oh, I wasn't aware of this. I didn't remember that. Okay, cool, whatever. But they all seem cool about the party. So the party starts, and um, Chris is there. He's got his camera on his neck, too, because he's, like, taking pictures of stuff. And really, he's using the camera to zoom in because as these guests start arriving, they're really fucking weird people. Lots of white people, a few black people. But the white people are just saying stereotypical shit so as fuck like I don't even know how to that's a terrible sentence but every time Rose introduces Chris to somebody they're saying something stereotypical about him like talking about sports one woman's grabbing his arm going oh you're so strong you know just really ugh. like as a white person I'm just like I'm cringing it it's bad and it's sad because you see it through it's not sad. It's disturbing because you're seeing it through Chris's eyes. Like, this is what he goes through at a party, meeting his girlfriend's family and friends. But what he does do is he kind of wanders off and he's taking pictures. There's this one person that he does meet that says, black is back in fashion. And I was like, oh, God, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through the rest of the scene even. Like, this is so cringy. But then he wanders off. He's taking pictures. And he meets a blind art director, gallerist, art art curator. He meets a blind art curator. And they have a really nice talk. And he says, oh, I know who you are. You're very talented. 
And they talk about like, oh, how can you even see the art when you can't see? And he's like, oh, I have my assistant describe it to me in great detail. And I know that you're excellent, blah, blah, blah. And then he says this great thing, too. He goes, one day you're developing prints in the dark room and the next day you wake up in the dark. And I was like, yeah, nice line. I really like that line. I like this character. Who's that actor? Mm. Do you happen to know it off the top of your head? No, I'm going to I'm going to come up with his name. But uh. You want to look it on IMDb real quick? I could just... I got it. Steven Root. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, he's great. So he plays this great character. They have a nice encounter, and he feels... It's weird. He feels seen by a blind guy, right? He feels really seen by a blind guy because he's this photographer artist, and he feels seen by this guy in this moment. And I was like, hmm, that's cool. And they're vibing out together. So Chris goes back upstairs. He keeps finding his cell phone unplugged, so it's always dead, and it's really starting to piss him off. He calls his friend. His friend freaks out and warns him. He's like, you got to get out of this white people's house. Yeah, his friend Rod, who is used almost entirely for comedic mm-hmm. relief, but a fucking great character. Great intuition. It's, it's, it's comedic relief that works. Yeah. Like. Usually this character, usually this character is the one that's cringe, Mm -hmm. but actually Rod is a fucking great character and every interaction they have is hilarious. And also, so he calls him and he's, he, he just says to him quickly, he's just like, yeah, he's like, but the black people here are a little bit weird. Everyone seems kind of like hypnotizing. And he's like, she's hypnotizing everyone. He's like, what do you think's happening there? What are, he's like, you know what? I haven't wanted to have a cigarette, so I think it's working. Got to go by, right? He gets off the phone with him. He goes back to the party. Oh, the maid confronts him. So we have another scare where you turn around and you see her and it's like, right? And she goes, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I didn't plug your phone back in, you know? Oh, God. She's so scary to me. So he goes back to the party And do you remember the conversation they were having about this? Another person, I don't know if it was like, um, it was a person of color was asking the group, the party, about Mm -hmm. this other guy. I don't know what his name is, the black guy with the straw hat, what the black experience was like. Oh, yeah. Which is like, what? Well, they asked, somebody asks, one of the party guests asks Daniel something about, does it, provide more or less advantages today to be black in America. And then uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character kicks the question to one of the other black characters in the scene, who I believe was Lakeith Stanfield's Mm -hmm. character, whose name I'm forgetting the character's name. And yeah, it's another one of these absolutely cringeworthy scenes. And so Chris is so freaked out by this. He's holding his cell phone really low because he's like, Mm -hmm. I got to get a picture of this crazy black guy that's talking all old timey. And saying that his experience as a black man has been a great one. Because he's like, I don't believe that. Because I am a black man. And I've not had that experience. So he takes a picture. And when the camera flashes, it's some kind of trigger. It's some kind of trigger. Which I don't know if they ever explain exactly how this is supposed to work in the context of the hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Or if it's just the flash snaps people out of it for some reason. And he goes and starts to attack him. Right. And tells him to get out, get yeah. out, get out, right? Yeah. And also I think it's important to point out in that little exchange he had with the maid. He asked the maid something. I keep calling him house helper maid because we're not really sure what they're doing in the house. I think that's one of the questions throughout the film. It's like guys chopping wood, she's cleaning, she's serving, but 
but they're also pretty young. So we're we're unclear. And they're constantly their characters are made to be basically zombies in every scene. They're not. Yes. They have no personalities. So you you. They're not warm. They're not cold. As audience members, you know something is wrong the whole time. Yeah, and they have this little exchange in the bedroom when the the phone is unplugged, and he asks her something like, "Do you like being here or something? I don't know," and she looks at him. And it's she's just so scary to me. And she's like, no, that's not my experience. So I thought that's a that's also a gaslighting from a black person to another black black person. Like, no, that's not my experience, which has got to be the scariest thing to hear that that's not my experience. It's literally like gaslighting to to me. I mean, because I've experienced that as a woman saying, like, that's not my experience. It's like. Uh, okay, well, you live in a fucking different dimension because, mm. okay. But anyways, not to delve into that. They go back to the party. They're talking about the black experience. The guy gets freaked out by the photograph and then goes into the mom's office. The mom rehypnotizes the black man who freaked out at the party. And also, let's point out that the black man is at the party. This young man, handsome black man with a straw hat on, don't know his name is with an older white lady and they're like romantic and it's like she's gotta be like in her late 70s or something in the movie right and this he's is just like, bizarre yeah yeah no, and he's like in his like, late 20s okay. and they're like having this canoodling energy happening but meanwhile he's figuring out that the mom got into his head just like whatever she just administered on this kid as in see sort of hypnosis with him and he came out and apologized to the whole room for acting aggressively so meanwhile he's he goes off again and he's having a conversation with rose like we need to get out of here i'm feeling really weird i don't like it she's like okay that's fine and then in another scene we see all of these chairs that have been set out in the backyard for the party is actually a setup auction, a silent auction of some sort, some weirdo yeah. auction. And they had this picture, this framed picture of Chris at, on an altar under the gazebo. And fucking weird. everyone's yeah, fucking bidding on Chris. Yeah. Yeah. So now we realize that there's something really fucked up going on, that he's been there as... In the auction... They're all yes. bingo cards. Pardon my interruption, but it's uh, this reveal again. It's just mm-hmm. so well done. Just shout out to fucking awesome director. Yes, but uh, the as it pulls back and you see the portrait of Chris, like this creepy ass picture of him, <laughs> and then everybody's bidding with yeah. bingo cards, and yeah, it's a and super they're all doing it in reveal. silence. So the dad is at the helm. He's the, he's the auctioneer. And he's making all these like hand signals and things. And then the guy who ends up bidding the high, being the highest bidder was the blind art dealer. Art dealer played by Steven Root. Which was so freaky. So I'm like, okay, what does that mean? They're going to kill this guy? Like what's happening? Chris, you better get out of there. So meanwhile, Chris's intuition kicks in. He's like, I got to get out of here while they're bidding on him on the other side of the property. Super strange. So she's like, okay, we'll we'll go home. Rose is like, we'll go home. It's fine. And mm-hmm. he 
sends that photo of the guy he took the picture of to his friend. Yes, to Rod. And Rod is back there and he's just like, uh, you need to leave. Yeah, Rod says, Rod says, that's Dre. <laughs> yeah. You, you remember like, Andre? And, and like yeah. tells tells him exactly who he is. And then Chris recognizes him. And then they realize that this person that they actually knew from their neighborhood is like some brainwashed, indoctrinated yeah. weirdo now dating a 75-year-old white woman. At this yeah. And he's like, you suburbs. need to go. And he's like, I am leaving. So they're packing. Right. And then... He oh this little closet door opens of course classic like horror thriller movie this little door opens and I thought this was mm. rude on his part but you know I'll give him this because some weird shit is going on in this house <laughs> this little door opens and he opens a door and he starts looking through this like memory box and it's literally pictures of Rose with like a million black ex boyfriends ex lovers friends what have you. All black guys. This is, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, in a movie where there might be a lot of reasons to be like, hey, how'd that happen? <laughs> this one, this one nitpick. I'm like looking at this scene and I'm like, where'd she find the time to have I all these know. boyfriends? I mean, like, how the hell could she keep this? She's like yeah, a young she does lady. it every weekend. And there's so many photos of her with all of these. I loved it, though. It was like it was like a deck of cards. And you're just, he was just like, ah, 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 ah. A woman was in there. Like, she was all over the place with people. Right. The woman who yes. is now their housekeeper, mm-hmm. Georgina. So he's yes. like, yes. fuck. But he acts calm. And I'm like, thank God there is a reasonable person in a horror thriller movie that they don't <laughs> confront the woman. He was smarter than that. That's pretty he, true closes the box he goes okay do you got the keys you got the keys okay let's go let's go they try to go down when they go down the stairs of course this is when it all the shit hits the fan and they all try to stop him from leaving the house she's pretending like she can't find the keys until the very last minute when she does find the keys and she goes she says you know i can't give you the keys they're right here i can't get them to you and this is the final reveal Mm -hmm. here we see their true colors. And they all, all knock him out. And um, what did, wait, she, what does she say? She says her word, Missy. I, I think Missy just hits the, the teacup. Yeah, like she? once or something or twice. And he falls down. Yeah, that's, she hits the hypnotic anchor. Yeah, she hits okay. his button, which as far as I remember was just the, the spoon clinking mm-hmm. on the teacup. She may have said something. And he too. falls down. But she gives him the signal, and he collapses. And then they take him to... Asterisk, not accurate hypnosis. Please continue. They take him down to a basement. Um, So his friend keeps calling his his cell phone, and obviously he's not picking up. So his friend starts to Google that guy from the party and realizes that he's a Brooklyn native that's missing. And so his friend is fucking flipping out he keeps calling he keeps calling he's not picking up he's in the base meanwhile he's in the basement strapped down to a chair like you know arms legs and on a tv turns on in the basement which starts the indoctrination i guess in a in a 50s kind of living room yeah and there's like a an animal animal with ant javelina and um taxidermy on the walls and shit which is you know yeah all symbolic of hunting and and it's a it's a weird video 
it looks like the kind of videos that they show you when you're about to go into like an old folks home, like they're selling you on it. Like you're about to go here. And then it says, behold the Caligula. And I was like, I don't have time to Google Caligula tonight, dude. I'm tired. But I know that there's a lot of connections with Caligula there. But um, so, but it, That's a good it reminds. Sorry. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I, I, I forgot about that. I don't know what those connections are either, but please continue. Yeah, but behold Caligula. Yeah. But it reminds me of how they were like doing the indoctrination in Stepford Wives. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, did God. you did you catch the three step process? Yes, I did. Yeah. I have it right here. Let's hear it. Hypnosis. Phase one. Phase two. Mm-hmm. Mental preparation. Phase three. Transmutation. Huh? <laughs> and that's where. <laughs> yeah. Step four. Where he success. Says, <laughs> A sliver of you will still be in there. But wait, let me back up. The friend, meanwhile, while this is going on down in the basement, the friend goes to the cops and the cops are not having it. They're making fun of him. Like they, they don't believe in any of this stuff. And his friend, they invite more cops into the room to hear this story and laugh at him. The comic relief continues. And the friend, I, we didn't, we didn't mention this earlier, but the friend keeps fixating on the fact that he's going to hypnotize them, make them sex slaves. He just keeps saying that throughout the movie. So he goes, they're abducting black people. They're brainwashing them, hypnotizing them, making them sex slaves. And the cops are just laughing. So finally, the friend calls again. And Rose picks up Chris's cell phone. And then she manipulates him. And he's so funny. He's like, oh, oh." he puts her. He goes, can you hang on for a second? And he puts her on mute and he goes i'm gonna fucking get you bitch like i'm fucking recording your ass and he start he goes to record and then she says all this crazy shit that she's just like i know you have a crush on me and he's like what huh what yeah and he's like i know you always wanted to fuck yeah you're always looking at me like that you're always looking at me like that and he's like what What he's like she's a genius yeah yeah i love that he has the goes, she's a she's a genius (laughs) so after that we're he you know where Back in the basement, we're going. He's he's been told the phases that he's going to be going through, and I love this quote. It says, "Your existence will be as a passenger." Now that to me was like, oh my god, that speaks so much in terms of like the the parts about race and marginalization, because. People are going through life feeling like fucking passenger. So I love that line. Your existence will be as a passenger. And he asks, he goes, why black people? He's talking to the TV. He's talking to the guy who bid on him. Stephen Root. Yeah. Yeah. And and he says, um, why black people? And he goes, who knows? So he, he doesn't even know why. And he says, he just wants his eyes. You know, like that's his interest in staying young. So there's this also holy grail thing happening in the movie where old people are getting into younger bodies but still living their lives, which is why I asked if you had seen the skeleton key. Which, by the way, coming back to the groundskeeper who was running at Daniel Kaluuya when he was outside to have the cigarette. Mm-hmm. Now, you you know why he was running? No. Do you, do I still you, don't know. Uh, well. Okay, well, that was... Do you remember the story about the grandfather in the family that was an Olympic runner who went up against Jesse Owens? Yes, at the beginning. That's the grandfather. 
inside that guy who's a runner. Fuck. And he's running <laughs> because he was an Olympian that went against Jesse Owens. So he's doing what right. he did. We should have life. said this at the beginning. This is a, a episode full of spoilers, like before their time, yeah. because I yeah. didn't know and that the grandpa was in there until the very last scene in the film. I didn't put that together until the very end either. I was like, why was he running? Why was he running? And then just remembered that part. And it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, he had because great form. too, there's that, there's that part at the end where Rose says, get, get him, him grandpa. grandpa. Or yeah. grandpa. And then, yeah, Georgina goes, or somebody, one of the housekeepers goes after yeah. him. And I was like, oh, shit, that's her grandma or yeah. her grandpa or whatever. And they're so, all in these like young, yeah. fit bodies. It's so fucking disturbing. So we're nearing the end of this. And... Yes. Meanwhile, he's still strapped to the chair. And then there's this kind of emphasis on him because the whole time he's been scratching the chair, it's like a leather chair and there's cotton that's coming out of the chair and he yes. starts pulling out the cotton. And again, Jordan Peele, excellent direction, establishes that this is what he did with his fingers when he was a boy waiting for his mother to get home the day she mm-hmm. was killed. It's again, beautiful directing. So he takes this cotton out. We don't know what he's doing with it, I think. Um, which is the brilliance of this too. I mean, if you're super smart, maybe you knew what he was going to be doing with it, but I did not know. And we just now see the surgery scene with a setup with two like surgery tables, which I'm like, the husband's a surgeon now? Yeah. A brain surgeon? I I either missed that or they don't establish it. I don't think they establish it. It was because he was like, I'm a a traveler and a brain surgeon. Okay. Um, So... They're get they're he's prepping the blind guy. He's already cut the top of his head off. So okay. Then they send the son to go and get Chris to do the brain tr- the body transplant the transmutation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it were mm-hmm. only that easy, he goes to get him and he gets up and he attacks the brother. And then we realize it's because he had stuck cotton in his ears. So that he didn't hear the rest of the hypnosis. So he didn't go through the rest of the indoctrination. So he was able to like overcome the brother and they, Mm. you know, beat each other up. He rips the stag, the horns off the the wall at some point. And the the father goes to check because he's like, where the hell is Chris, the patient? And he encounters Chris in the hallway and Chris kills him with the antlers. So bye-bye, daddy. Mm-hmm. So there's that. This is where this is where the super satisfying vengeance yeah. begins to take place, where Chris overpowers Jeremy the brother, and as you're saying, basically mm-hmm. impales the dad with the taxidermied antlers. <laughs> he yeah. he grabs his Please phone and then the mom is there. He kills her. They have a tussle, but like mm-hmm. what was it the the Letter, he takes a opener. letter opener through his hand and directs it right back into her, eye, which is uh, it was like he didn't care with that letter that. opener in his hand. He's like, This could be fixed. He fucking yeah. took it right in his hand, and then yeah, and it was mm-hmm. a pretty strong killed scene. her, yeah. it was over her. And meanwhile, all this is going on. We see a scene going on upstairs of Rose sitting, just eating Fruit Loops and looking at black men on the computer, sipping, like hot black guys. Dude, and sipping milk yeah. through a straw. I mean, we see her in all her, her psychopathy yeah. here. For she sure. just has headphones on. And she's listening to Time of My Life. And <laughs> yeah, that song like the, that to? song from Dirty Dancing. And. <laughs> oh fucking yeah, and she's like googling buff black guys 
And you're like, wow, this, yeah, you put it perfectly. She's just like a psychopath. And so now she hears something going on because he gets the keys and he's getting in the car to leave, right? But he fucking runs over, what's her name, on his way out? Grandma. Georgina. Georgina. I keep forgetting her name. He runs over Georgina. So he picks up Georgina, puts her in the car with him, speeds off. He's thinking he's doing a good thing. Yeah, Rose comes out with a shotgun, starts shooting at the car, and she goes, Grandma. And that's when I was like, oh, Grandma was inside. That's when I put together the whole running thing, too. I was like, oh, shit. I never put the running thing together. Okay, Okay. learn something new. Anyways, they're on, on this chase, right? She's coming after him. She's got a shotgun. They're, this is like, they're, they're on a road and they get in a car accident, right? So I think grandma's dead, right? Safe to say Georgina, grandma died in this car accident. And the car wreck, yeah, we presume and she, he gets she out. Yeah. There's a car wreck. We think she's gone. Grandpa ran to the scene. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. yeah. The groundskeeper who yes. is possessed and by grandpa. She goes, yeah. get him, grandpa, right? And he runs him down. She has the shotgun and she goes up like she's going to shoot him. And she's got the gun. But then when he gets Chris down on the ground, Chris takes a f- his cell phone and flashes with the flash. Uses that flash and again. And turns around and he goes, let me do it. And so Rose hands him the shotgun he shoots Rose and then he kills himself, mm-hmm. which I still mm-hmm. get the chills when I think about that because it's not one of those movies where you see somebody commit suicide and you're like psychologically fucked up by it because it's like a horror thriller movie. I don't know how you felt, but I was like, mm. oh my God, the symbolism. It was just like, you're trapped in this thing. And the first thing you would do if you got freedom was to escape. And that was his way of escaping. Like when he was like back into his like actual self, he was like, yeah. I'm killing you. I'm, cl- I'm killing my oppressor and I'm killing myself for <laughs> and I'm f- freedom. She's still alive though, after getting shot in the gut at close range with a shotgun, which I thought was pretty crazy. And then Chris leans down like and he starts talking to her then she's like i still love you and all that she's touching his face and then he goes to kind of like choke her out was that necessary i think he was pretty angry at the time it freaked me out as a (laughs) Uh, woman to see uh, a guy choking a a woman like that i hear you listen this this whole segment i think is the most disturbing part of the movie Uh, I, i don't I don't disagree with you, Jessica. I, I wouldn't say what was yeah. necessary or unnecessary, but I will just say in the context of the scene and the all, all the emotions, it made sense to me that he would want to end her yes, life, of especially then as, as she's going back into trying to manipulate him. Yeah. So then as he's choking her, you and again, this is, I think, the most... The most disturbing sequence of moments, mm-hmm. perhaps in the whole movie, just because of, again, all the layers of meaning and inferences and the amount of times we could ask, is that necessary? Or even like, you know, oh my gosh, what, this is so loaded. 
after we have him on top of her strangling the life out of her after she's done what we know to be inexplicably horrible fucking things. Well, this is a, the reason why I say it was disturbing, why I didn't want to see it or didn't like it was because I feel like that is a perpetuated thing in within racism that an image of a black man choking a white woman is like something that is like real and to be feared like we're to fear people that don't look like us and because of this this is the kind of things they do they're violent people people that don't look like you are violent and here's an example of it and that's why I was like I don't know if I wanted to see that because then it's like perpetuating that stereotype of you know, black men being violent, and Chris is not violent. Um, that legitimate question here. Do you think Jordan Peele was doing that intentionally? Do you feel that that's part of the intention of the film and the scene? I have no idea. Okay, I don't either. Yeah. So that's happening, and then we have a cop car, and we see lights on this cop car, and I don't know about you, but, you know, again, from my position of my adult white male body, I saw that scene that you're describing of him on top of her choking the life out of her and then a cop car shows up and, you know, I have all the associations that we've lived with mm-hmm. in our entire lives of police and black people. And again, all of this is running through my mind and fucking Jordan Peele. I, I just, <laughs> I, I gotta give it up, man. Then Rod, the comedic, the beating heart of the movie, like friendship <laughs> itself, steps out of the cop car. The TSA, you know, his TSA car. And and before <laughs> but like and that joke lands so fucking hard. This whole thing happens. You have all of this imagery, as you're describing, it's so true. It's just like all of this loaded fucking imagery that my white male ass has been taught to look at a certain way, and I'm looking at it and I'm in the movie, and then again, friendship itself gets out of the car. Rod gets out, saves the day, mm-hmm. essentially, takes Chris away. <laughs> and the funniest joke in the movie, and this is, I mean, Jordan Peele, what a wonderful movie. And this is how you know the guy has done hours upon hours upon hours of some of the best comedy of the last 20 years. Is Rod makes this joke about he is the T.S. motherfucking A. Yep. They, sh- they figure shit out. Mm-hmm. They get shit done. And that joke lands so hard. Remember, lands so good. Earlier in the movie, he goes, uh, when he was just like, she's a genius. He goes, I got the TSA tingles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what she yes. says when she's laying on the ground and she doesn't know it's Rod yet that showed up. Right. Yeah, She turns does. to the cop car and she goes, help me. That's right. Yes. Yes. You know, so that's what he was saying, Jordan Peele. And Keel, she immediately about, begins to play the victim. Yeah. yeah, like watch out for her throughout the whole film. Brilliant film. It is. It's just wonderful. Brilliant. It's just wonderful. Get Out was the first February release since Silence of the Lambs to score a Best Picture Oscar nomination. Oh, Isn't that crazy? There yeah. are two of a very small number of horror films to be nominated for Hollywood's highest honor, like period. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention was that in 2018, Jordan Peele won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for Get Out, making him the first black filmmaker to earn the honor. So made Oscar history amazing. And the last thing I would like to say about this particular movie, which again, I don't, 
Well, I, I, I don't know how much I could say about it, but the interactions and conversations about psychology and trance and the hypnosis of race and the hypnosis of racism and bias and prejudice and you know how these things exist in the best of us and the worst of us there i feel like there are commentaries about all of these things in this movie that is you know both a brilliant horror movie and a brilliant thriller and at times a brilliant comedy so can't praise the movie enough now i would love to talk to jordan peele about this movie and just have him tell us how much research he did or didn't do uh, you know mm-hmm. again i don't presume that he did much research on hypnosis in fact based on everything he does I don't think you would need to do very much research on hypnosis for this movie. I think you could take what you've seen in film and television, including the idea of smoking cessation being very popular with hypnosis, which it is, which Chris's character is a smoker. You know, just like all of these pieces Mm -hmm. are kind of on the surface with hypnosis. So, but he uses them brilliantly. He uses them brilliantly and in ways that reflect enough of how at least that part of the process takes place in real life. I totally respect it and yeah it's such a great film it's the whole film is about trance and hypnosis and I just feel like it's a metaphor for the world we live in like we're all under some kind of trance and they're using it in a really evil way obviously to make I don't I don't even know what the fuck they're doing but they're they're getting into black bodies I don't know what he was. I got a lot of questions for him now. (laughs) (laughs) Any final thoughts? I just think that this was a very well executed film. And when I heard about this film and when I saw it, I saw it and thought, oh, this is so cool. This is so clever that they're using actual hypnosis through the entire film. It's being used. It's not just this little like small touchstone in the film where a lot of the films that we've been talking about, it's a small piece, whereas like the whole film is like you are hypnotized, you're in a trance, you're being brainwashed. Here, I'm going to like trigger you right now. I'm going to alert you to something. I'm going to activate your anchors or I don't know the lingo that you use, but it's it's just happening throughout the whole film. And so I so appreciate it on that level when it comes to hypnosis and film. On a scale of none to fun, I would give this like mm. like a 10. This is a 10. Tons this of is fun. a 10 film. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Use of hypnosis? I'm with you. I mean, it is a brilliant marriage of the ideas of hypnosis mm. into the art of cinema. You know, it's not like... As a hypnotherapist, I wouldn't call it a great session of hypnosis or something like that. And again, it's not necessarily accurate to the experience of hypnosis in a therapist's office, but it doesn't need to be. It's not trying to be. It's not making that attempt. And again, it's, it's a movie. So, and it's a movie about psychology and influence and hypnosis and, you know, horrible things that can take place. So insofar as it's wrestling with those themes, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm totally with you. 10 out of 10 on a scale of none to fun, tons of fun, extremely successful. You know, I feel, yeah, again, I feel like entertained and educated yeah. at the same time watching that movie, which is a pretty special combination. Watch this film a few times, guys, because you get more out of it. 
and maybe mm-hmm. talk to some friends about it because I didn't know a lot of these things until mm-hmm. you and I just started talking about it today. So yeah, awesome film. Thanks for the time, Jessica. Yeah. And thank you for listening to this episode of Mind Space Minimal. We'll be with you in the next one. You can find us wherever you stream your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Visit us at mindspaceminimal.com and email us at mindspaceminimal at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.